2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Say Why to Drugs. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I recorded this interview maybe six months ago, and I've thought about the conversation a lot since then. Before we get to it, a quick thank you to everyone who's bought my book and a reminder to those of you who haven't yet that if you like this podcast, you'll probably love the book. Hardback, audiobook and Kindle versions are all available from all the usual places now. Okay, plug over. Back to the episode. I found out about the DSM Foundation through Twitter. Fiona, who set it up, got in touch with me. Drugs education is something I'm obviously very interested in, but I didn't actually know that much about how it was done in schools and with young people. Fiona set up the foundation after her son died after taking MDMA. In this conversation, she tells us about her motivation, about the evidence she uncovered, and how she's worked with schools, researchers, young people, even playwrights since setting up the foundation. It's a long conversation, so I won't waffle on, but please enjoy this episode of Say Why to Drugs about drug education. To Gage.
1: So I'm Fiona Spargo-Mabs and I'm the director and founder of the Daniel Spargo-Mabs Foundation which is a drug and alcohol education charity.
0: And I'm Sarah Burkitt, I'm a drugs educator with the foundation and also youth ambassador coordinator.
2: Fantastic and I'm really excited to have you both on the podcast today because we're going to talk about something that I'm really interested in but I don't know that much about other than very historical knowledge and that's drugs education. So I guess can we start with you Fiona, why is drugs education important to you?
1: It's important to me and the reason we started the charity was because my um, younger son Dan died five and a half years ago when he was 16 taking what turned out to be an incredibly strong bag of MDMA. He had obviously he had no idea that it was quite so strong. Um, We had no idea quite how prevalent and unstigmatized and available affordable accessible drugs are to young people now of course we knew things were out there not totally naive um, but just had no idea how close they were to our door and we also didn't realize how much schools would struggle generally speaking most schools struggle to do good drug education for perfectly valid reasons there's absolutely no reason why schools should know how to do that it's a specialist thing they're really good at doing all the specialist subjects that they have to do already and they have to be very focused on targets and and they have to be very focused on achievement and they're under huge pressure and huge budget pressure as well but if if kids aren't getting the education that they need and good drug education then they're facing decisions on an increasingly frequent basis as they get older without being well armed enough to know how to make those choices safely so that's why we started the charity to resource schools to resource young people but as part of that we've developed a much kind of broader program because there's so many other people and elements to um how you can influence young people in terms of their understanding and management of risk. So, can you tell us a little bit
2: about the foundation?
1: So, the foundation um, ha- we started out, well, I, I would say we started out, actually, we started out with so many different things. <laughs> we kind of started out thinking we've got to we've got to equip young people to talk to other young people because we recognise that, that young people listen to their peers very differently, but we also started out thinking we've really got to resource parents better as parents, for whom it had gone horribly wrong. But also my professional background is um, I'm I'm a, a teacher originally, an English teacher in adult education. I'd worked in as a manager in, in adult education for our local authority for many years, but quite broadly across education and had a, a lead national role as well within my specialism, which was family learning. So it was working with parents in order to impact on their not only their own confidence and achievement and skills and qualifications and so on, but, but in terms of their children and their children's learning and achievement and breaking that cycle of underachievement. So... So I had a, a kind of a professional understanding of how important it is to involve parents in children's learning, as well as a personal understanding that I needed to know more than I did. And if I didn't know that, chances are that other parents also hadn't maybe picked up quite how different the world is for their for their teenagers. Um, but we also started with thinking that we really need to resource schools better so that they can teach really good, relevant, effective drug education to their students. So where we actually started really was um, putting together some lesson plans and resources for teachers to teach drug education in PSHE um, over a series of six weeks of lessons. We started with year 9, 10, yeah. 11. We developed programs then for year 7, 8 and year 9, uh, for six forms so that so that there can be that reinforcement, that age appropriateness and and, and making it building on what they'd learned before so it's a spiral curriculum but also really really important through all of that that it was evidence-based and evaluated as well because one of the things we, i did so much research and had so many conversations i was very fortunate very early on to be put in touch with pretty much everybody that was really useful to talk to in the sector through one very 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 useful contact command sign bray as he was then thank you very much Um, (laughs) um and which was so useful because it was, I was learning, you know, I didn't know, I know how to teach, I know about education, but I don't know all the drug stuff. Of course. yeah. So, um, and I didn't know what was out there. We needed to know what was out there, what worked, what didn't work, where were the gaps and what could we do? So finding out about what the evidence was, and there is a good evidence base of what works and doesn't work. Well, this
2: was going to be my next question of what, what kind of evidence is there? Because it probably isn't the case that just giving people the information is all you need to do and certainly I obviously it's slightly out of date now but when I was at school the thing I remember about learning about drugs was that a policeman came into our school Mm. showed us a box with a glass fronted sort of bit with some pills and what have you behind it and and that was basically it and I remember well I don't necessarily remember thinking at the time, but looking back on it, that's a very unusual way to present... Yes, look at all these lovely drugs. ..the message about (laughs) drugs, sort of making them look kind of contraband and illicit, but potentially a little bit exciting as well, and being presented as a criminal thing rather than a health thing. So when you went to look into the evidence, what did you find?
1: Well, when you start to look at evidence, it gets incredibly interesting, and then what is evidence and what isn't evidence and what's being... my language now. (laughs) But it's so interesting. Um, But there is... The the evidence base, uh, in fact, um, the EMCDDA just published the European curriculum. Yes, European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction um, published a prevention handbook this week, which which again pulled together the international evidence base and UNODC as well have got prevention standards. So there, and and that pulls together all the research that's available. But there is something like there is a list of things that don't work and a list of things that do work. So on the things that don't work. Policemen do seem to come onto that, although there are some really good policemen doing really good things in schools. So I think with all of these things, it's kind of that they're all a bit sort of generalizations to an extent. Ex addicts going in, which is another thing a lot of schools still do, but that again is on the some can be amazing, but generally speaking it's it's again, um it's on the list in terms of evidence of what, what doesn't necessarily not only doesn't work but can be counterproductive I think that's one of the things that's important so I'll come back to the evidence base in a minute but one of the things that's really important in terms of drug education you know as an English teacher I could teach a poem really badly and I could the worst I could do would be put children of poetry yeah, yeah. for life which which would be a terrible shame <laughs> but with drug education you can actually do do harm by getting it wrong so you can make it seem more exciting more intriguing you can arouse curiosity you can make it seem normal yeah um so or there, even
2: glamorous or you know yes, there's lots absolutely. of absolutely yeah
1: yeah um so the the things that the things that do work if I start with the positives I suppose the things that do work um interactive is really important relevant and age appropriate is really important. It's really important that it incorporates a life skills approach because being able to develop the skills to apply the information understanding you've got in a social context is what they need. So understanding the dynamic of that peer relationship and understanding the teenage brain and understanding what makes that decision making situation complicated when you're an adolescent particularly you've got so many important things going on in your head. So converse to that is is what you were talking about is the information-only approach. So the one that says we just need to give them lots of information about drugs, and maybe we'll show them a few as well. But um, you you do need information, but you need to know what to do with that information as well, and you need to be able to develop the skills to put that information into practice. It also needs not to be a Mm one-off. So going in and just doing one session, however amazing that might be, anybody that has been listening to this who's been to an amazing training session or an amazing workshop or something you can probably still even even a couple of weeks on you'll remember a couple of things and actually when you're out on a friday night or something you two years later um, plus if if you, if you had something that was amazing when you were 14 when you're 17 that might not actually be, be what you need to know anyway so it needs to be a sustained opportunity to learn as well so over a period of time and it needs to be repeated and reinforced and and then adapted for the for the appropriate age as well And it needs to be delivered by trained facilitators as well one of the the things that it were. for Look at evaluation in our evaluation of our program. So we've been working with the University of Middlesex because the Drug and Alcohol Research Centre is there. And one of the aspects of our they've done a very initial assessment, and we're, we're looking. We really really want to get some funding to do something more rigorous so that we can add to that evidence base. Um, but one of the aspects that they looked at in the initial assessment was the was teachers' experience of delivering our lessons. So I know as a teacher I hate delivering somebody else's lessons because I really want to make it my own anyway. Um, but and there is that difficult balance between providing really good resources as a as somebody that is coming at it as a specialist but there is then that really um, important balance between fidelity and flexibility because you can't create something that will work effectively with every for every individual anyway but for, for every group and for every classroom dynamic So there's that issue when you're giving resources to schools, but the other issue is, however good you make them, they're only as good as the teacher that's teaching them, really. So, which is really difficult, and that's where we come into some of the issues for schools, which is the pressure that's on schools. I think it's it's such a hard time for schools I've got huge huge sympathy for schools who are trying so hard to do their best and and keep having something else loaded onto them they've got to stop kids gambling now as well as everything else that they've got to help them sort out but but one of the the challenges that they have is making sure that staff are adequately trained and supported and so CPD time in schools is hugely pressured so having training to deliver PSHE it's not part of a teacher training qualification anyway but or not not a significant part um, but to have somebody that knows how to deliver that well is really important and unfortunately what a lot of schools do too many schools unfortunately have felt the pressure to squeeze PSHE out of the curriculum altogether so it's not timetables into lessons some of them will deliver it in form time and those little chunks in the morning when they do register and cram a whole load of other things in and that's probably, probably, kids finishing their homework and teachers finishing their marking and all that sort of thing but um, nevertheless we've adapted our resources to be delivered then because something's better than nothing if that's all they've got let's try and do it as well as we can but where they do timetable lessons very often schools will not many schools have dedicated, some do, um, but but a lot of schools that do timetable lessons don't have dedicated PSHE teachers who've been trained to deliver PSHE. And it is a particular way of training because you are a bit more like a facilitator than a teacher you're it's really important that it's interactive it's really important that there are opportunities to reflect and to discuss and to be honest it's really important that's a safe space which is another of course, challenge that yeah. schools
2: have schools also it's really important to acknowledge have a safeguarding issue absolutely. and if young people yeah. are disclosing illicit drug use the school has a duty of care i would yes,
1: imagine absolutely and how schools respond to that, is very, that yeah. yes yes in terms of the delivery of the lessons what will often happen is that whoever that, that PSHE lesson will be taught by whoever's got a free space in the timetable in that slot for that year group. So they could be a geography teacher or an English teacher, they could be a physics teacher or a PE teacher. Um, and they'll all bring different things to that. But but not only might they not have the particular sort of skills, just because if you if you teach a subject that doesn't rely on discussion. Um, then you're not used to facilitating a discussion of what that looks like. Plus also, some teachers have better relationships with their class than others. And if they don't have that credibility with their students, they're not going to listen to them. Why would you listen to Mr. Whoever or Mrs. Whoever? (laughs) What do they know about drugs? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, you can make the resources kind of teach themselves as much as possible. um, And we've done our very, very best to make them something that a busy teacher who's a non-specialist can pick up and do well Um, but nevertheless it's 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 a challenge but it's a challenge that's worth working on. (laughs)
2: Absolutely so Sarah do you want to tell us a little bit about what do your resources that you or how do you work with schools what does that entail?
0: Well we deliver workshops to right from year six all the way up to year 13 um, and so it, it, we tailor it to each different age group and make it as interactive as possible and, and as many questions as, and answers as possible um, to try and facilitate the learning in the, in the time that we've got as best as we can there is some drugs education, some um, about the risks and effects of misusing drugs and also alcohol and try to keep it as up to date as possible. It gets the, the hour flies by, it's very full of information. But also trying to help them understand that kind of the peer pressure dynamic decision making as Fiona said, where their brain is at and how they can kind of use that information to help them make safer choices because they're a little bit more aware of what's going on at different times during their
2: adolescence. And how do do the kids react to these kind of sessions? Because I imagine they're really different to anything they've ever done before. So do you get sort of people just Absolutely refusing to take part, or do you get people really, really involved? How, what does it look like when the young people are actually doing it?
0: Yeah, I think um, sometimes the older um, year groups they will have a certain expectation that it'll be oh no, it's just another drugs education. But because of our approach, it is evidence based. We try to make it as interactive and you know positively informative as possible, and also it, it's empowering them to to safe, help to support their peers as well, even if it's not something that they've ever considered doing themselves, giving them the opportunity to think, well, I've got this information, I can support my friends who might be um, looking at risky decision-making. So there's lots of elements within it. It's not just you must not take drugs. It's making them aware about their um, position within their peer group and also sometimes within their family. So so they might have the expectation that it's going to be just another boring drugs lecture, but... Actually, I think quite quickly they realize oh that 's not really our approach, and also because it is a, um, a very sad story and um, but the family have made it, and the friends have made it into a very positive movement and by by starting up the charity i think they really recognize that and 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 obviously the real story lends the reality to you know they can see that it could be a possibility of it happening to them or somebody that they know so very quickly the emotion of that changes their their attitude towards us really i think
1: it's a bit of head and heart yes yeah but going back actually two things you picked up of in terms of what doesn't work one is just say no um, which was really widely, um, and the fact that I think virtually every child in the States got the just-say-no drug education, and look at the success that was in terms, sadly, of the problems that they've got with drug use in the States at the moment. So it's it's clear, even if there hadn't been lots of evaluation done, that it wasn't a very effective approach. So the other thing that Sarah referred to um, was the story, and the story of yes yeah, so i was going to a...
2: ask about that so that that's part of the workshop yes, that you deliver. It is. yeah so
1: actually i started really my role in it was apart from running the charity and kind of getting all off the ground and everything in terms of actually being in schools was as storyteller alongside we we, we kind of contracted a couple of drugs because we we're being asked to go into schools before we were really quite ready so we've got a couple of our, uh, drug educators to come in and do that for us and i went in and and just talked about dan but with the hope that that young people might identify with him. But I never, ever... Because the evidence base is... That shock tactics don't work, and I, that makes total sense because you know you don't, you've only got to know teenagers to go. As soon as you go that bit, there's a line that you can cross, and they go, "Oh yeah, right, okay." Um, and if you overplay your hand, a you lose your credibility, but also it's not realistic. And if if there's any sense at all that if you do drugs, this is going to happen to you, that, especially by six form, they're going to know people that have had a great time and didn't actually end up in intensive care. So it's being realistic and relevant, but at the same time as recognizing that storytelling is such a powerful way of communicating a message and actually it's what w- one of the things that we do before we go into schools is send out a survey ahead which I can talk a little bit more about actually because it's such a useful valuable resource for us and um, but one of the questions we ask is what would you find useful in a drug education workshop and, and we give a list of about 15 different things um, one of which is personal stories and anecdotes and that In every single school, that comes out top. That's what they really want. And it's because stories are easier to listen to, really, than if they're well told. um, But also they stick in your head. What we always hope is that that Dan's story is sadly for poor old Dan there's so many elements of Dan's story that could a have been anybody and that can link into so many really important messages about managing risk and the role of your friends and decision making and and so on but it's it's told in a it, I guess it's not shock tactics it's empathy tactics <laughs> I don't oh, know if what that's legitimate the I don't, know what, the, I don't know what the <laughs> evidence base is for <laughs> empathy tactics but I think when I started doing this what I hoped was that young people might identify with Dan, because he was just, he was just such a, I know I would say that, I'm biased, but he was a really lovely boy, he was, he was prom king at the end of year 11, which is basically a popularity test, isn't it? everyone like that, he just had a way, he just had a thing, he had to make friends with everybody, he was really funny, and he was really kind, and you know, all those yeah. lovely things, um, and they might think, oh my goodness, that could be me, or that could be my friend, and, 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 and kind of engage with it in most, I think getting head and heart going is, is a really valuable way of any learning, to be honest same in English as well as it is for drug education but what I hadn't anticipated actually is standing up in front of a room full of teenagers is what happened is them going oh my goodness that could be my mom and so what what Sarah was talking about in terms of that wider impact and understanding that understanding how much you matter I think to other people is a really important part of our message as well understanding how much their lives matter how much they matter as an individual and that's that's again a bit more heart than head I think but it's so so important especially at the moment but always I think probably any of us well all of us I would imagine probably that have been a teenager can remember how difficult it can be a time to navigate and there's there's such a lot of focus now on young people's issues around mental health and I don't think a lot of debate about whether that's a new thing or whether there's just language and confidence to talk about it now. Um, but I can certainly recognise from my own adolescence and my friends that there were there were huge issues around. Um, but that, that being able to somehow value yourself in all of this, and that's another bit, coming back to what works and what doesn't work, is that drug education needs to be part of a whole school approach to health, well-being, and a whole personal, social, relationship, mm. health, education, because it all it all overlaps, and there are so many of the skills that you need to navigate risky behaviours, which encompass so many things. You, you can apply generically. There's kind of underpinning skills. You can talk about them in isolation, but it works so much better if you link them together. And if, as a school, if the school can plan that for their students so that they're making those connections and enabling the students to make those connections, it's so much more effective and so much more meaningful. And meaningful for the students because they don't go, oh, yeah, this is drug education decision. This is what I need to bring to it. Because course, actually, might be yeah. a girl they really fancy the other side of the room or whatever.
0: <laughs> and also, I think that brings us back to reinforcing it as, as they go through their sort of... each From year to year within their sort of school journey because different things yes. will be really important. Different things will be happening they'll be aware of things. So, for example that transition between year 11 and year 12 and you're making brand new friendships you're super super self-conscious it's much harder also to sort of say no to a potential a potential future friend and so you've got all those kind of other peer pressure level aspects at play as well Mm. and so so it's really important that the information that they're receiving is
1: is appropriate for that for the stage that they're at plus they're more likely to be around stuff by that mm. age aren't they whereas in year nine some will but but probably most still won't yes um so so actually it's it's just recognizing that this is very relevant and, and present
2: so what sort of scale do you operate at at the moment because this sounds quite sort of time and resource intensive how like how many schools do you work with are you trying to work sort of nationally or are you working regionally like how does it work well it's a really good
1: (laughs) really good question so we started in Croydon in South London which is where we live with two schools um, and that was four summers ago Um, and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown because there was a gap and there was a need and um, we've been able to do something to address that which is which we're so pleased to be able to do. But because of that, we've kind of been running to catch up with it all the time a little bit. And always, as Sarah said, it's so important to stay up to date and current and relevant. So we're always doing research and updating everything and reading and reading, reading and reading. Um, listening to podcasts. Listening to, <laughs> listening to podcasts. I would recommend Dr Susie Gage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your check is in the post. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also how different schools work and operate. But we've had the growth we're working with about round about 350 schools but literally every week sometimes every day we've got more schools colleges community groups contacting us a couple of days ago was the um, met police youth football oh wow so, yeah so we're going to do some workshops for, for their parents and their, their older kids two new schools yesterday so we've kind of grown organically from croydon and it's sort of we've kind of taken over croydon and sutton and bromley and and merton and but we're working with almost all of the we're working in almost all of the london boroughs now but also out in to surrey Um, next week i'm in loughborough and then i'm in manchester and last week i was in edinburgh because we're piloting some work there where there's again really just a gap and a need and a lack of consistency, and, and just it's that lack of support available for schools to call on. So, if teachers want to go somewhere, if they, think I really recognise that our drug education needs updating. It's not relevant. It, and I really don't feel it's good. Where do you go to find resources? And of course, the 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 issues around drug deaths in Scotland have been very much in the media spotlight very recently um, but also their drug strategy has a big focus on prevention and education comes under that so mm-hmm. it's there are lots of things in in Scotland there are other things to do with the way that schools are organized which makes it much much more more open really to, to doing some work there so so we are we're, we're working on a model that can because our vision is that every child that nobody should nobody should have to face a decision about drugs without knowing enough and being well resourced and equipped enough to, to make that safely and get to go home in one piece. Even if they're a bit round the rough around the edges, just to get to to go home. Really, that's our grand master plan. And so so that's one of our challenges at the moment is how we make that work well. And of course, where we started with the direct the model that we've got at the moment is a combination of direct delivery and resourcing schools and we've got this multi-component approach as well where we've got parents we're doing training for teachers and professionals working with young people we've got the resources for schools we've got the youth ambassadors we've got the peer education approach um and we've got the play which i'll talk about yes, a little bit more in a minute but a bit. Um, but where we're where we're dependent on the direct delivery component of that obviously that kind of limits our scope so we're looking at whether we can do something well or well enough where we don't have to actually physically be there to do it. And working in partnership is a key thing. So there are lots of people out there doing things very effectively in schools. I haven't yet come across anyone that's kind of got all the different elements to it, but where there are people going in um, who are specialists in young people and drug use who are doing good workshops in schools, we've got resources that c- schools can then use to follow that up. So looking at local partnerships in local areas where the people that are there on the ground and doing <coughs> that direct delivery have got that local knowledge and that community um, involvement and engagement that can make that what, what we can then offer as a kind of generic universal support resource much more effective.
2: So I want to come on to the wider things that you've been doing in a minute. So thinking about the play and the youth ambassadors and that kind of thing. But before I do that, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about PHSE, PSHE?
1: PSHE, but it won't be much longer <sighs> well, anyway. Well, this
2: is so. This <laughs> is what I was quite concerned when you said that it, it's not compulsory in schools no. at the moment like that really worried me because I do remember I mean I remember the lesson I think mainly the reason I remember it is because the policeman who came in his name was PC Ham which I just thought is <laughs> a really unfortunate name for a police officer who was going into schools <laughs> but I remember lots of those lessons I really they really stuck with me and obviously they, I went to school yeah. quite a while ago now
1: but um it's not compulsory at the moment but it is becoming so, statutory yeah. so yeah no it has I think it's a, it's, it's always a revelation to parents that they that it's not statutory their kids don't have to get it so in terms of drugs and alcohol at the moment the only time that students in school have to be taught about drugs is in GCSE science which isn't necessarily going to arm you well for making safe choices about stuff um, but that will change so in September 2020 it will be statutory for all state funded schools to deliver relation in sec- for secondary it will be relationship sex and health education in primary it's relationship and health education and drugs and alcohol come under that so that is a massive massive achievement however and I don't mean to because it is amazing and you know we should, we need to celebrate the fact that it is going to be is going to be something that all schools have to do but the next challenge then is is making sure that that's done well and not done badly, yeah. which are two quite different yeah, things. Yeah. In terms of the guidance, so the statutory guidance that was out for consultation and has been finalised now, and there are schools from this September that are going to be um, trying it out, and the DfE's put £6 million aside for training for, for, and kind of looking at s- feedback and evaluation and things. Um, but the guidance in terms of drugs and alcohol, I mean, it's wh- the way that it's been written, really, but, it, but it's all in terms of pupils will know so pupils will know, and then a whole list of things. Whereas I think, and I think the evidence base would support it, it'd be much better if it said students will be able to, because then it's about... it's Because it, it can't just be about knowledge. I mean, the thing is, that's how they frame the whole thing. So it's all about pupils will know, so under every, ed, everything. Um, but but in terms of the stuff that, that... In terms of all of these things, really, there are lot of things you have to know, but there are things that you need to, to be able to know what you do with that. So... That's the next challenge, really, is to is to resource and support schools to know how to do that well. Because again, there's no reason why they should know that. And I do want to keep emphasising the fact I have huge, huge sympathy for schools and no judgement or criticism yeah. at all, because it, they they are under so much pressure and there's so many challenges. And a school doesn't exist, certainly not that we've come across, although I suppose we wouldn't, because they wouldn't be asking us to go in. But that that doesn't care about their pupils' welfare. It's just how they do that is what's difficult
2: so let's move away from schools now and there's a couple of things that you were talking about that i want to go into in a bit more detail so sarah you mentioned youth ambassadors can you tell us a bit more about those yes
0: we have um a team of youth ambassadors um spanning uh london boroughs um all the way out to actually to west wickham no not west wickham, Sorry. High wickham and they are kind of representatives within their school or, or community group of the foundation and they're there to help provide support and inform their peers in school about um, the risks of drugs. So you're talking about
2: actual school, like pupils? pupils, Yes,
0: usually they're year 11, year Year 12. 12. So we we provide comprehensive training um, to equip them to support and inform their peers around drug and alcohol awareness, the risks and effects peer pressure, managing peer pressure, um, good decision making and also safeguarding. And they're a fantastic resource for us in terms of bridging the gap between sort of adult and younger students in school. And they bring so much to the foundation and, and also to, so much to their peers within their setting.
2: So how do the young people sign up to become a youth
0: ambassador um well they can contact uh, me via the foundation um with um an electronics very quick very easy um (laughs) e-application um and then there'll be an interview a discussion about um what they can expect entails, from us and, yeah. and yeah, what we expect from them. Um, and, then, um, and then some training um, and support ongoing throughout the year to help them achieve what they want to achieve. We want to really tap into their skills and talents um, so that they can really enjoy um, um, their time with us and also make the most of um, their skills and talents using them in, in, in the right way to help other, other young
2: people. Fantastic. And now both of you have mentioned... A play so I'd love to know a little bit more about that. How did that come about? What does that look
1: like? So that when I look back, we did all of these things just crazily early on when we were just in complete shock and but just needed Sometimes to do that's
2: something. That's the way to do it, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> Probably if you,
1: th- it's good not to think about things too much. But I think when when Dan died, we were just left with such a passionate commitment to make sure we were doing all we could to stop it happening because it's so avoidable. You know, there are so many awful things that happen in this life. There's nothing whatsoever you can do about them. But this is. Harm from drugs is so avoidable. Um, So we started the charity. We were registered with Companies House eight days after Dan died, which is just ridiculous. It took longer to get our charity registration. Um, But the play came along within... That was in the May, I think, so Dan died in the January. But Dan loved drama. He was really good at drama. He got an A star for his GCSE drama, and he was in the school productions. and He used to hang around in the drama studio, mucking about, putting all the costumes on, running around in the school, dressed to silly things. And um, and he loved his drama teacher. And his you know, sometimes you can have special relationships with, and I think drama teachers are one of those sorts of teachers that can have special relationships, aren't they? Anyway, his drama teacher is absolutely lovely and became one of our first trustees. But she said. Um, just a few months after Dan died she said you know you really ought to think about drama because it can be such a powerful way of communicating a message and I'm ashamed to say as an English teacher I hadn't credited quite how incredibly powerful it can be yeah. but she said there's this playwright called Mark Wheeler who I, she, I, she taught him for, for years she said he writes so powerfully for young people and Dan has studied one of his plays at school actually and um, he writes most of his plays they're, they're mostly true stories and they're mostly mm-hmm. verbatim plays so all the words in the play are the actual words of the people who are in the story. And she said, would would we mind if she contacted him? So we said, no, that's fine. Um, and um, so she did, and amazingly, he jumped at the opportunity he came straight back apparently he'd always wanted to write a drugs play <laughs> he's written he's such a, t- a cheerful chap mark he's so lovely but he writes these terribly sad <laughs> stories about these oh. poor children that come to terrible ends um but he he was until just a couple of years ago he was uh he'd all his professional career been a drama teacher so he'd worked with young people and he'd worked he knows what works in terms of youth drama and he's always run a youth theatre company as well until just very recently and when we met him he was point five drama teacher 0.5 uh, playwright and as part of his drama teacher role he had a youth theatre company so he came up and he and it was literally this was six months after Dan died and it was all around the time of the trial and the sentencing and stuff so it was all really raw looking back now and there were things we found out through that process as well so the script itself is really raw it's the only word i could think of to use it but um he came he's based in southampton came up to croydon spent a couple of days with us doing lots of interviews with um with with me with tim uh, my husband dan's dad with jacob his big brother with um jacob's girlfriend with dan's girlfriend with um, and with a whole bunch of his friends and recorded that he transcribed it he made that into a script and it, then he worked for about it took about 18 months Working on that kind of raw script, to with his youth theatre company in Southampton, which is very much a community youth theatre. You know, they don't audition for anything, or anything. So they were really, and very similar sort of ages, and they all kind of just gave their whole hearts to it. They were amazing, um, and ended up with a play that was published by Bloomsbury. Uh, in 2017 on their Matthew in Place for Young People schools list which is amazing when when he took on the commission he said I can't make any promises that this of will course, obviously yeah. um, but it's now that play is a, it ended up being a two-act play because there was so, I think everyone talked so much but also because <laughs> there's and it ended up anyway it's it's it is an incredibly powerful play and that most of where that is we don't know we only know about it if somebody contacts us but we know that it's sold lots of copies and and every now and then yeah. when we do get a message it's very clear that it's in a lot more places than we realize and it's being used in drama lessons it's being used in uh, BTEC and GCSE drama performance exams it's being used for school productions across the UK and also overseas so we know about a production there was one in Tasmania about a year ago there was one in australia at, at, at easter there was there's one a school in vancouver that's working on a production at the moment and wherever that goes that we know about the the young people that are involved in it just give it it just the drama just i don't know it has this power and i think especially with with teenagers actually one of the things i absolutely love about working with teenagers is that they feel things so deeply and care about stuff Completely. so deeply and and can be so passionate about things that matter to them it's
2: before cynicism of old age yes. gets
1: you <laughs> yes yeah and I think um, there's something about that combination of teenagers and, and, and a powerful piece of drama that has a kind of special magic or something but the kids that are involved in productions Get, they care so much about they care so much about Dan, they care so much about us, they they feel often a sense of responsibility for this message and they really want to get this message out to other people and it's so important. And and then young people performing to other young people has such a power as well because they're the age, apart from Tim and me, who are ancient, that the rest of the characters are are, are their age. So that that it's young people's voices and it's being Spoke, being performed by young people we also though com- adapted it to tour so we w- we wanted to be able to have that play as a kind of a conscious part of our offer to schools in terms of drug education um, so we it was too long it ended up being such a long play and it's so difficult to get time freed up in a school timetable cool, because so. of the pressure so we commissioned mark to adapt it to tour so he shortened it to 45 minutes he adapted it for a touring company four actors and we've then commissioned a theatre and education company to take that into schools in and around London for the last three spring terms and there'll be another tour starting in January 2020 Um, and that again but so it's a theatre and education production so it's a performance and then there's a an interactive workshop afterwards as well Um, so again it's not you couldn't say I had the play in year nine so we've done drug education but it's a really good engagement activity it and it just um there's something about live theatre which... And there's something about the the corporate experience, I think, of live theatre, which is not like anything else. It's not like even sitting in the cinema and watching an amazing film with a cinema full of other people. There's something about... You sort of become part of it somehow. And I think it's... It's an English teacher, I suppose, but I think it's a bit more like poetry than prose. So you have to... It engages your imagination, I think, in a way that sometimes something that's a bit more explicit like a drama on on television or a a film can be it tells you a bit more drama you've got to kind of that's why they're lifting that cube there or that's why they're it just you have to it makes you engage with it that much more and and identify and they're real people and so many young people never get to see live drama now another thing that school cuts have unfortunately made difficult so we funded that really. We have our, last year we started asking schools to make a contribution they could because it's so expensive. It's the most expensive thing we do. But I, I didn't say. But 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 all the work that we do, our work is with every every sort of school imaginable. So from some of the very most select independent schools to really struggling schools in very deprived estates to alternative provision, faith schools, grammar schools. Everything in between boys schools, girl schools, <laughs> because it's drugs are are so democratic. They really don't care what family you're from or what community you're from. And and for young people now, and especially with the role that social media can play in that kind of you are part of you inhabit a a much bigger world than you you than than young people would have done even just a few years ago. Um, and so it's it's so relevant to everybody but we're so conscious that state school budgets are so tight so we do everything we possibly can for nothing at all in state schools we do ask the independent schools to pay yeah. because that helps us do the rest <laughs> of what we do and they have generally got budgets but if anybody said we can't afford it and even in the independent school we'd still go in um, because to, we just don't ever want to say no to anyone really how could we and, and so we madly fundraising and <laughs> applying for grants and things
2: Um, we're probably approaching the time we need to think about wrapping up but just before we finish I just wanted to ask you if there are parents listening to this who are worried about their children or you know not sure how to have conversations with their children is there anything from all that you've read and from all that you've experienced that Is there anything you particularly sort of words of advice that you could
1: give? In terms of conversations, I guess there are shades of conversations. There's kind of that preventative, hopefully get in early when they're 10, 11 maybe is a good time to start. Um, Or up to the conversation where actually you know that your child's involved in something. And how you have those conversations is quite different. But um, one of the things that's really important is that you you listen as well as talk. uh, That you keep that conversation open. However totally natural and understandable it is, especially if you 've got concerns to jump in with a big panicky lecture, um, because of course your natural instinct as a parent, the first thing you want to do overwhelmingly is to protect your child, course, yeah. and so going just don't you know but 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 keeping that conversation somewhere that your child can come back to and if you have got concerns then getting professional help if you need it and uh, somewhere like drug fam has a helpline that you can call if you've got concerns I'll put some you numbers can in. Find, that would be yeah. great yeah frank you can find a local treatment service there but getting support for yourself as well if you've got concerns but also accessing the information and it's also really important to that you don't feel you've got to be an expert as a parent, and it can be very easy to get befuddled by your teenagers. Go, yeah, Mum, what do you know? Kind of thing <laughs> in attitude, even if not in words. And you can feel that yourself because it is such a different thing. Yeah. Who knew that those little silver canisters had got drugs in? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or what they did. Yeah. Um, so, but you don't. There are there are lots of things that you do know, and 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 all parents know enough to have those conversations. And ask your child, ask them about stuff without without asking them in an in interrogation <laughs> but be curious with them and learn together and 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 there are always opportunities there are opportunities that come up there are always things in the news there, there's always a storyline on east end as it seems about something else yeah, to do so make those take opportunities as they come up but yeah lots of advice and we are just rebuilding our website and there will be a good area on there for parents in terms of resource and support and places to go Excellent. to. well
2: potentially by the time this is out that might be yes done, that so. would be great <laughs> yeah it
1: should be out Soon. fiona
2: and sarah thank you so so much for taking the time and coming to speak to me oh, today i've learned so much and it's your, it's absolutely inspiring genuinely what you're doing oh
1: thank you thank you for the opportunity to speak on a susie gage
2: podcast <laughs> <laughs> i might cut that bit out we'll just imagine the audio blush that i'm doing <laughs> and there we are thanks again so much to fiona and sarah for taking the time to come and speak to me Check out all the links on ACAST and in the notes to find out more about the DSM Foundation and the various things that we talked about. If you're around, come along to one of the live Say Why To Drugs events I'm doing in Liverpool on the 27th of Feb, London on the 7th and 31st of March, Glasgow on the 14th of March, Oxford on the 1st of July and other places to be announced. Check out my website susiegage.co.uk for more information. Buy the book, please. Uh, Review it on Amazon really it does help. Uh, Send me pictures if you see it in the world in bookshops and see you next time where we've got another interview, this time with the secret drug addict from Twitter. Bye!
1: The cat